So this week I, I've been thinking a bit about just the idea of fear and how fear is just a, a great way to, to market things. <laughs> uh, you, know, you think of the, of the Weather Channel where anytime that there is a, a storm or there's a hurricane or it's gonna, there'll be even just a little teeny sprinkling, it's just the world is absolutely coming to an end. Um, and then you, know, you have to stay tuned so you can get the latest update on, on the end of the world. Uh, and it's every single time. And I, I think that that is, is how they're able to keep selling you know, advertising, because you, know, you could just look on your phone and see very quickly what the, what the weather's gonna be for your out to, outside get together. But you have to stay tuned in out of fear. But I think that it's the same idea for even the way that, that news is marketed, where I mean, you really should be afraid. You should be afraid of the Republicans. You should be afraid of the Democrats. You should be afraid of foreign powers and domestic powers and economic powers. But there's always something to be afraid of. And, and so you know, stay tuned with our short commercial break for the next thing that you should really be worried about in your life. And that, that may sound a little bit cynical, and I, it probably is, and there's probably the other side to it. But I think that, that fear is something that's just a reality in the world. And that the Bible actually has a lot to say about fear as well. There, there are countless passages in the Bible that say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the storm. Don't be afraid of the things that, that you face, that we're, we're, we're called to, to confidence. But then also, when you read the Bible, it says to fear the Lord. <laughs> um, and so we, we get confused. But, but really, in the, in the Bible, there are, there are these two different kinds of fear. There's one fear of, of the world, of others, of, of nature, that it's saying don't have that kind of fear. But then there's another kind of fear that's actually commended for us in Scripture, this holy, reverent awe of our Creator. And really, that's what we see. We see both of these fears in this text today from Luke. And I think that it, it really helps us wrestle through how do we avoid the, the wrong kind of fear as we go through life um, and have this sort of holy, reverent awe of our Creator. And you can actually break down this passage into two sections. Um, and the, the first section is fearing the storm. So it's that, that first kind of fear that we're not called to have. Uh, and that's verse 22 and, and 23. But then the, the second part of the passage, verse 24 to 25, is, is the other kind of fear. It's, it's fearing the Savior, which is totally different from fearing the storm. And so let's look at these two different kinds of fears individually from this text. And so first, it's fearing the storm. Look again at verse 22 in your Bible. It says, One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a watchman came down, on, or sorry, a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And so here you, you see. Jesus telling his disciples, hey, let's go across the other side of this lake. It's the, the Sea of Galilee. And so they all pile into their fishing boat. They start across the lake. 
And then all of a sudden, there's this enormous windstorm that blows in. And you probably know how that is sometimes, where you, you go outside, everything looks great. Then all of a sudden, it's like that. The weather changes. Um, and apparently, this is something that's common on the Sea of Galilee. Um, it's actually at 700 feet um, below sea level. And there are hills all around. And so there can be this collision of, of hot and cold down in the valley. And then wind comes down from the hills. And so the weather can tra change quickly. And it's actually, it's interesting. I Googled it. And you can watch videos of storms out on the, the Sea of Galilee that might help you imagine what's going on here. But the, the storm blows in. The, the waves start coming into the boat. And the disciples become absolutely convinced that they're going to die. Um, it even says in the text that they were in danger. And it wasn't just the way that I feel anytime I'm in water uh, where I'm convinced that I'm going to die. Um, I grew up in mountains, so I can't help it. Um, but, but these were fishermen that, that they grew up uh, at this lake. They grew up fishing. Uh, they knew the weather conditions. And so the fact that they're sitting here thinking, okay, we're probably going to die here, meant that it was a really, really bad situation. And I think that on, on some level, we can actually identify with them. Because there, there are times in our lives where, where Jesus calls us to go on some kind of a journey, uh, calls us to go somewhere. And so we, we pile into you know, the boat of life thinking that, that he's going to bring us safely to the other side. And so it, it could be, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to marry this person, or I'm going to have children, or I'm going to pursue this certain vocation, or uh, maybe I'm, I'm going to get involved in this particular ministry or this particular church, or just something as simple as I need to go to the grocery store to get milk. And so we embark, and we're expecting that it's going to be just smooth sailing along the way. But then, maybe not the, the literal storm, but the, the, the figurative storm of life blows in in all sorts of ways that we get cancer or the economy crashes and we lose our savings or our marriage falls apart or our kid gets sick or our spouse dies unexpectedly or while you're driving to the grocery store you get in a car accident and then you struggle with back pain your whole life. There are so many different ways that, that you can just be going at smooth sailing and then boom, here's the storm, life changes and and in some ways, I think that, that we shouldn't be surprised by these sorts of storms because they're inevitable. And, and that's something that I've, I've noticed, that just as I've, if I, as I've gotten a little bit older, that when you're a kid, you just think that, that everything is great, life is just really easy. And then even somewhat in college, depending on, on what's going on in your own life, you know, people, people are getting married, they're having... Uh, weddings, they're having kids, but then you start to see just storms entering the lives of, of your, your friends and, and, your, and your family. Some are minor storms, some are, are big storms, uh, and then you start to realize that the storms are just inevitable, that, that we might think that we're going to have completely smooth sailing through life, but one way or another, the storm is going to blow in, and it's going to threaten everything that we hold dear, threaten our way of life or our family, maybe our own lives. And so the, the big question then is, how are we going to respond when that storm finally blows into our life in big ways and in small ways? And just as a, a, a trivial example of this um, was a couple weeks ago, and I hesitated sharing this one, but 
Um, I, I, was, I got in a, a package of new knives from Ikea, and it, it's one of those stupid packages that you just pull it and pull it and pull it, and you can't get it open. And I, and I was trying and trying and trying, and I pulled it, and then you could imagine things that happen with knives when the thing rips open. And you know, so I cut myself, and, I just, and, and there was that moment of like, oh, man, I don't have time to go get stitches. I have to play violin this Sunday. And just immediately going to kind of the worst case scenario. What if I never play violin again, you know? Um, and, and then it, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it's completely, completely healed. But as much as I want to say, okay, my, my heart is, is always in the position to respond in great calm and poise when storms enter life. But, you know, in the moment, there's sort of the, the like, freak out moment where, you're, where, where you jump to the worst case scenario. And I think that you probably can point to experiences in your life where you have that as well. And I think what we learned from our text is that our response, that response of just fear of the worst case scenario is really rooted in a kind of unbelief. Because after Jesus calms the storm, he, he looks at his disciples and he says, where is your faith? I mean, that somehow their faith has just run away. It's not there anymore. Or the way that it's worded in Mark when he, he recounts the same story, Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And that Jesus is, is basically saying that, you know, if you were really confident in my power and in the power of God, that your reaction wouldn't be this, this fear. You would actually have assurance. You'd be, you would have, have calm and, and peace in your life. And that's the kind of peace that, that Jesus exemplified, actually, in this, this text, because, you know, he, they, he's ministering uh, in Galilee, and he just pours himself out in ministry to others. He's exhausted. And so as they head across the, the lake, it says that Jesus lay down in the, uh, the bottom of the boat, and he fell asleep. And you know that, that feeling where you're just so exhausted that you can just sleep anywhere, but I also think that it's not reading into the text to say that, that Jesus was also confident in the provision and the protection of God. So he could, he could sleep anywhere because he wasn't afraid of what would come next. I mean, actually, a few months ago, I, I read this book on, on sleep, and they were saying that, you know, for most of us, if we're in a new situation or one that we think is dangerous, like part of our brain actually keeps us a little bit awake so that we can wake up and respond, that we don't truly sleep, sleep soundly and, and fully and safely. But that's what, what Jesus is doing, that, that he's asleep. So even when the storm blows in, he doesn't wake up at first. He's in some sort of very deep sleep. But I think that, that unlike that kind of reaction, that, that we're a lot more like the disciples, where uh, we, we look at the, the storm around us, we look at the potential consequences for ourselves and for others, and then we, we look at, at Jesus and we say, Jesus, where are you? And in some ways, maybe he's the one who got us into the situation at all. Because for the disciples, he's the one saying, hey, guys, let's go across the lake. And you think, well, if you're following the command and the call of Jesus, that maybe then you will avoid the storm. And so if he's there and he called us to do it, why are we facing the storm to begin with? And then on top of it, he's sleeping and so they, they, they wake him, and um, you know, it says in, in Mark that they say, do you not care that we're perishing? Are you completely 
unconcerned with the things that we're going through. And I think that that's often then our reaction as well in the midst of the storm. God, do you actually even care about me at all? And even though in the, in the midst of the storm, it's just this visceral response to, to God, it, it goes, you could put it in actually philosophical terms in the problem of evil, that, that God is supposed to be all-powerful and all-loving, and yet we're facing the storm. And so if he's, not, if he's really all-loving, why would he let us be in the storm, and why would he be asleep in the boat? And then if he's really all-powerful, why would he not stop the storm? And so the fact that we're, we're still suffering, you know, maybe he cares, but he can't do anything about it, and he's just on the sidelines, wringing his hands, hoping that eventually it's going to turn out okay. But the great mystery of the Bible is that God is actually both completely sovereign, in control, powerful, also fully good, fully loving, and that then there, there's mystery in the things that we face. But because God is both of those things simultaneously, that we actually can call out to him in the midst of the storm. And that's what we see the disciples doing here in our text. Because even though Jesus, he rebukes the storm and then he rebukes the disciples for their unbelief, but they, they weren't completely and utterly without faith. Because still where they turn is, is they, they wake Jesus up. And it's really interesting, you know, this, so this is recounted in, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, the story. And in each of those Gospels, they say something different when they wake up Jesus. So in, in Matthew, they wake him up and they say, Lord, save us. In Luke here, they, they pretty much just make an observation, Lord, we are perishing. Um, and then, as I said in uh, Mark, they, they say, do you not care that we're perishing? And, and there's a great book by uh, St. Augustine in the early church called The Harmony of the Gospels. And when he looks at the differences in the Gospels, and I, I looked at him, what he said in this, and he said, well, probably they, they, when they woke him up, they all said something <laughs> at once. And so probably, you know, one saying, Lord, we're perishing. Lord, save us. Lord, do you even care? And that it was all just kind of coming at Jesus in different ways from all the disciples who were there because um, they're, they're terrified and there's a sense of, of, of chaos, but I think that, that in a way that's the kind of call that we also are to have with God in the midst of the storm, that you know, we, we're calling out to him and saying, you know, Lord, I'm perishing. Oh, Lord, can you, can you save me? Lord, do you even care that I'm perishing? Are you actually paying attention or are you asleep in the boat? And I think that, that all of those are appropriate ways um, to respond, because it's exposing where we are, but, it, but there's a sense of, of, of looking to the mercy and the power and the love of God in the midst of where we are. And that the great promise of Scripture, then, is that, that he is a God of, of deliverance. I mean, we heard Cindy read it in our Old Testament reading, that, that you know, we, the storm came and, and the Lord is the one who, who delivers. And, and sometimes we call out to him and he delivers us in the midst of our storm right now. That, there, that, that definitely happens. But there are plenty of believers who have been I mean, literally lost at sea in storms. There are plenty of believers who, who face hardship and call out to the Lord and it doesn't seem like there is this immediate deliverance. But what God promises in his word is this, this ultimate deliverance from the storms of life that is absolutely secure and firm. 
Because when we, when we repent, when we trust in him alone, that, that he, he promises, I'm going to deliver you, we see hints of it now. Uh, but then ultimately, we get to pass through the, the storm of death itself into this perfect life of deliverance that Christ has prepared for us to behold his glory with, with unveiled faces. And, and that deliverance, for anyone who's in Christ, is absolutely certain. But the other deliverance, God is, is so often and gracious, but it, it's not guaranteed in every situation. And, and listen to how Psalm 46 describes this reality. And actually, as a, as a side, this is, this is actually the passage that I read to my grandfather while he was passing away. Um, so it's the last passage of Scripture he heard going through that kind of ultimate storm of, of facing death. And it says... God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. And therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and though the, the mountains tremble at its swelling. And so you see it's saying, God is our refuge and strength. And there's this picture of the storm is, is raging all around us. The earth is giving away. The mountains are falling into the to the sea, but then I almost imagine this scene change where suddenly it's, there's this complete calm, and then in verse 5 of Psalm 46 it says, or actually, sorry, verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help when morning dawns. And so, Again, chaos here. God is refuge and foundation in the midst of it, so we don't have to be afraid. And then there's this, this sort of vision of God, the peace of God's heavenly dwelling and the river whose streams make glad the city of God. And that, that, that ultimately that is this, this rock and this foundation of deliverance that we have in Christ. And we see a, a picture of it here in the way that he delivered his disciples but therefore, because of what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection, we can have hope. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've said in sermons, and that's why we're Hope Presbyterian Church. Um, but that is why we're, we're Hope Presbyterian Church, because there is this, this hope and this promise of ultimate deliverance that is rooted in Christ, and that we can see foreshadows of, as the disciples do here, but that's rooted in something that's even beyond this fickle world of, of suffering and pain. And so that's the, the first section of our text of fearing the storm and that we ultimately don't need to fear it because God is on our side. But now let's look at the, the second section, uh, which is fearing the Savior, this other kind of fear. Uh, verse 24. And they went and woke Jesus, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. And so I love how the disciples are afraid of the storm. Jesus calms the storm, 
And then instead of the, the passage ending with them, and then they were at great peace and calm in their hearts, that it says, and then they were afraid. <laughs> and they marveled at the way that he could command even nature itself. And I think that sometimes people struggle with this idea of the, the fear of God. Because we, we think of, of scripture that, wait, isn't God our loving father? Shouldn't we approach him with, with boldness and, and with confidence? And so is, is God really the type of a father who wants us to approach him with, with fear, with trembling? Is this actually the response that we should have to God? Is this consistent with what the scripture teaches as a whole? But again, I think it comes down to the, these two different kinds of fear. There's the, the kind of overwhelming terror of the storms that come into life. And then there is this, this reverent awe in the face of our creator. And if you were to, to look at this theme of the, the fear of God in, in scripture, it just pops up everywhere. I mean, there's a, there's a book. You can get it online for free. Uh, but it's called Nave's Topical Bible. And it just basically, you, you look up different topics, um, and it'll give you different passages that exemplify those um, and display them. And if you look up the fear of God, uh, it, it just keeps going and going page after page. And, and I mean, we could sp spend pretty much the rest of our time today reading passages on the fear of God and commending it because it's such an important theme in scripture. And just as an example, uh, here are a few just from the book of Proverbs on the fear of God. So this will give you a sense of how the scripture talks about this idea of fearing the Lord. So Proverbs 117, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 2.5, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Proverbs 3.7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. Proverbs 8.13, fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 10.27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, uh, but the years of the wicked will be short. Proverbs 14.26, the fear of the Lord, so in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. Proverbs 14.27, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 15.16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility comes before honor. Proverbs 16.6, by the fear of the Lord one turns away from evil. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Proverbs 22.4, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Proverbs 23.17, let your heart, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all your days. And so, you know, that's a lot to listen to going through quickly. But again, you could just, you could keep going with almost every book of the Bible in that way, that it's, it's, it's at the very heart of, of wisdom it's at the heart of what it is to, to follow the Lord. And, and what the fear of the Lord isn't is, is a sort of ungodly fear where we don't want to approach God because we think he's just this cruel judge who won't receive us in mercy and love. It's not that. Um, but it's this, this sense of, of looking at God 
and seeing that, that he is completely loving, he's infinite love, infinite goodness, and at the same time, he is infinite power, infinite justice, infinite holiness, infinite righteousness, and that, that both of those exist at the same time in God. And what that, that does is just overwhelms us with this, this sense of, of reverent awe and, and fear in the presence of, of God. And I think that that's exactly what the disciples saw here, that, that this guy's in the boat with them, they call out to him, and they see that he is, he's loving and gracious because he calms the storm and he saves them and he listens to their prayer. But then they also realize that we thought that the, the biggest reality here was this, the storm. But this guy actually has power over nature itself, something that even you know, the, the greatest modern science cannot calm a storm like that, that God is powerful, that Christ upholds the world, directs it even in the smallest details. And, and that is completely awe-inspiring, fear-inducing, but, but this, this fear of, of reverence, not this fear of, of, of terror. And, you know, th thinking about this over the week, um, most of you know that my wife, um, Grace, dances with a dance company in Philadelphia. And a few years ago, they did a, a piece called The Faith Project, and it was just looking at, at the theme of faith and, and religion through movement. And many of the dancers aren't Christian, or, you know, don't profess to be Christian. Uh, the choreographer doesn't profess to be Christian. But the, as part of the, the process of, of working through the movement, they would have discussions as a company. And, and these were, were three questions that were asked um, that really got to this idea of, of worship. And so the, the first question was, what do you fear the most? What do you love the most? And what gives you the most strength and joy? So what do you love, the, what do you fear the most? What do you love the most? And what gives you the most strength and joy? And that you have to give the same answer to all three questions. <laughs> um, and, that, and that whatever your answer is, is essentially what your, what your God is and what it is that you are trusting and what it is that you are we're worshiping. And, and I know that, that when I was hearing some of the discussion, you know, some of the, the answers said, well, w one said that what I fear the most, love the most, and drive the most joy from is, is myself. Because um, I, I fear myself, I, you know, I love myself, I drive joy from myself. Um, you know, some said it, you know, it was religion, some said it was maybe even art itself. Um, but I, what, I, what I loved with that question is I think it, it, it draws out how this idea of a fear that the disciples were afraid when they saw his power and this idea of, of love and joy, they're not contradictory and they're not antithetical because, because really the question is not will you love or will you fear, um, but, but what will you love and fear? Will it be yourself? Will it be God or will it be something else in the universe? And I think that, that it's, it's that reality that is often just missing from a lot of worship in just even Christian circles, that I think as modern Christians that we do a really good job of, of focusing sometimes on, on like God, he's present, you can come as you are, he loves you, he cares for you, and that's really good, and it's important to emphasize that. Uh, but then there's the other side of it, of this, this reverent awe of God because of, of who he is and what he has done. 
And that, that I, I think that the most, this most beautiful worship comes together when those two things combine. When it's who do you love the most and who do you, who do you fear the most, that, that you see he's the loving savior in the boat with you who, who cares for you and is going to hear you when you call out to him so you don't need to be afraid of anything. But then he's also the one who upholds the universe, who created the, the laws of nature, who, who directs everything. And so, so we bow before his, his power and his, his transcendence. And, and I think that the more we do that, the less we have to fear other things. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And I love that, the, the fear of man. And that's so often where we operate. We're afraid of, of others. What will other people think of me? What will other people do to me? How will other people react to me? That what we love, fear, and drive the most joy from is what other people think of us. Uh, and, and unfortunately, more often than not, that, that leaves us in, in, in fear. and It's not a, a place to live. But it says, whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Or Jesus says down the same line, and do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And that's Matthew 10, 28. And so Jesus is saying, be careful who you fear. Don't fear other people around you because the worst that they can do is kill you. <laughs> uh, and that, that, that ultimately is not, is not the end because as I said, we, we have this eternal hope of deliverance that's rooted in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. So we don't need to fear anyone at all. But then he says, you know, fear the Lord who has the power over both you know, body and soul. And, and so is this the kind of fear and reverence that we have of God? And I think that, there, that there's good news here because the fear of other things, the fear of the storm, the fear of man will eventually lead to, to death. But the fear of, of God actually leads to life because he loves us and gave himself for us.